Core values have been featured in countless books over the last decade, but none has taken the search as deep or as focused on the intersection of leaders' personal values and those of your organization like my guest today, John Blumberg. John is the author of Return on Integrity and will discuss the linchpin of leadership and legacy. Today, he'll share in-depth introspection and provide thoughts on how to lead your organization beyond profit to a more truthful and fulfilling bottom line. Inside the Chamber is brought to you by presenting sponsor, Naperville Bank and Trust. John, thank you so much for joining me today. I am really excited about this conversation. Um, I read a lot of business books, um, much to my husband's chagrin, like why aren't you reading something else? Um, but this one really struck me because what I love is when I read a book that um, I, I'm challenged to think differently. Mm. And I think going into it, I had an assumption mm. about the title, ROI, right? Return on integrity. And I'm like, okay, so it's just reconnecting with your integrity, making sure. Oh my gosh, what a surprise. <laughs> mm. So please share with me a little bit of the inspiration behind the book. Yeah, and I'd like to say, Nikki, that this topic actually found me rather than me finding it. Of uh, and there's, it some, <laughs> there's some days that I think, oh, I wish it found somebody else. Yeah. Uh, uh, it really started when I was asked by a publisher, Simple Truths, to write a book called Good to the Core, Building Value with Values. And they have very short word counts. They're little square, colorful books. And um, when I wrote that, because of the tight word count, I realized I'd scratched the surface, mm -hmm. threw me into conversations with executives about core values and I realized uh, one day we have totally missed this idea of values and integrity that we really put a veneer on it not intentionally uh, but that's the result that happens and and we have a, such a huge opportunity here if we really got serious about understanding integrity and the potential that it has and the systemic relationship it has with all of the other good things that we're doing that I also don't think they're meeting their full potential because of this lack of focus on integrity. Fascinating. And I know a, a little bit that, um, you know, like almost a buzzword now within organizations, companies, um, is, you know, the core values. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but mm -hmm. I, I, I think that was my biggest takeaway is that we've sort of dumbed that down along with integrity it's and I, and I and I don't mean that in a in a disrespectful way but it's just become so common yes. that I think we really have to your point kind of missed the mark yes. so can you talk to me a little bit about integrity yeah. And, yeah that's an excellent um that's an excellent point in fact in the book the first third of the book is dilemma what makes this so hard and one of the things i talk about that it has become so cliche um, it has become the thing to do and that could be the greatest enemy of us really digging much deeper on it and so i do talk about uh, that we've certainly at least narrowed the focus of integrity um, you'll see it on the list of uh, almost uh, every company's core values and and 
and I'm okay with that, but in the book I, I take this claim that integrity is not a core value, that it's the fabric of every value. And when we really think about it, if we say that integrity is a core value, <laughs> it's like saying that the earth is the universe. And we've made that mistake before, right? Mm -hmm, right. Uh, of thinking this is the whole thing. Right. Whereas integrity, I like to think of it. And the reason they, that I think a lot of organizations do it, because they're thinking of it in terms of honesty or doing the right thing. And I totally get that. And it certainly is a lagging indicator of integrity when we have it. We will be honest. We will do the right thing. Um, but I think we contain it so tightly around that, almost as a compliance exercise, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that we miss that. I like to think of integrity as being whole and entire and undiminished. And mm -hmm. so it's the connection. If you really think about that, it's about being integrated. And it's the integration that really, um, I think, unleashes all the potential uh, that integrity has to offer. So I'm going to go off in right field just a little bit because, of course, you always get me thinking, which I am so happy about. Um, I think about culture is now the new thing. You know, we're all talking about culture. What is the tie? Because you can, your best intentions can be your culture, and I have it at work. You know, our, our, our values, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I think there's, to your point, there's, there's a disconnect there because if that, if you choose this culture, but the whole, um, your values are just your veneer, your, you know, your mm -hmm. general values, mm -hmm. is that a true culture? Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes total sense. And I think what happens, and this also happens in the list of core values, they often are not values at all. They're just really, really good behaviors. And so, um, which is good, um, but that's again like the icing on the cake, right? Yeah. And I, I get again why we do that because it's the behaviors that we see, mm. it's the short term results of the work and effort that we put into it. Um, but if we don't do the work of really getting to the level of values beyond our behaviors, our wants, and our needs, but really at the depth of values, which are, I would say, states of being, right. uh, whereas behaviors are actions in specific situations. Um, I think what happens is the culture just becomes a reflection of situational moments. Um, and so we're always um, describing the culture, but there's nothing really fueling it. It's mm. kind of a dream maybe that we have, but we're, we're not grounding it in something deep enough that in any given situation on any kind of day um, that we have what fuels the culture. And the culture, again, I think is the lagging indicator. It's the results of really doing the hard work. Yes, that's, thank you. Yes, that's it. Um, so you you talk about attachments and self-identity um, in the book. And so it got me to thinking that complacency, mm. you know, if someone becomes complacent and they become more tied to, you know, what they do versus who they are, can you talk to me a little bit about that? I found that so interesting. Yeah, don't we all love comfort and yeah. complacency, right? <laughs> yes, it yes. just feels kind of uh, nice, but it's not where we grow. And so I think what happens is when we come become complacent, uh, we do get attached to the comfort of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when I first went into speaking, uh, I started asking people where they had the greatest moments of exponential growth, and not one person ever took me to a time of peace or success. They always took me to a time of transition or change. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because in those situations, attachments are ripped away from us. And 
I don't know about you, Nikki, but I, I kind of love when I can hold on to things, right? And we could, I know you and I could have a whole three hour conversation <laughs> just on attachments, right? Right, right. Um, but I, I think um, that what happens when we get real comfortable and we hold on and we start identifying ourselves with those attachments, it's a very dangerous um, place to be. I mean, if we really think about our whole journey of life, ultimately we have to let go of everything, right? And so we might as well get used to that early on, but you also have to get used to letting go of some of those attachments to remove the blind spots that keep you from digging all the way to your core. Okay, so I have a question for you. So socially, whenever you know you meet somebody, so what do you do? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. And um, I, I was just thinking, it's, it, is that really what, what matters? And I know it's just a, a, a very genuine question, you know, exactly. what do you do? Because then maybe that's a topic of conversation. But I'm think, thinking about me, rather than going up to somebody and saying, hi, Nikki, nice to meet you, what do you do? What could we ask? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but can you imagine the scenario right? at, a, at a chamber networking event where <laughs> right. somebody would walk up instead of saying, instead of saying, what do you do? Uh, yeah. I, I walk up and say, so Nikki, who are you? Yeah. Uh, it, would, it would kind of throw people, but it's the far more interesting question. Absolutely. Unfortunately, most people don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, when I first started working on the whole core value thing, is I assume professionals, 95% of them would actually know what their core values were. The percentage was correct. Unfortunately, it was just the, the opposite, um, which is why I created this very sophisticated tool uh, to determine whether you know your core values or not. And it's the idea of um, a blank sheet of paper. Um, so here's your blank sheet of paper. And so I think the reason we don't ask those questions is I think because oftentimes we don't know the answer ourselves and why would we ever ask somebody else? But it would be far more right. profound to say, uh, so who are you versus, so what do you do? I'd uh, love the response, beg your pardon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's right? exactly what they would right? say, right? But, and, yeah. and for me, I'm far more interested in who you are, mm. right, yes. than what you do because that is, um, that's, not who you are, right? Yeah, it's yes. oh, that's fascinating. But we get the two confused, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm so going to do that next time. All right, let's All see right. It. let me know how it works okay, out. Okay, I will. <laughs> uh, let's talk about distance and disconnection. Mm. There were so many parts in the book where I really just had to kind of close it, think about it, and then reread it again. Mm. Um, so talk about distance and disconnection. Yeah, so in the first part of the book where I'm talking about dilemma, why is this so hard? Um, one of the things about that is that there are a lot of really good things that create dilemma. Um, if we think about measurements and metrics in organizations, they're great things, um, but they can also put a lot of pressure on core values. So one of the things that I tried to play around with is that our capitalistic system, um, our way of the market, has evolved over time. It's, it's become more sophisticated, more complicated, more enhanced by technology. And I, I was just thinking back, I remember my uncle when I was a little boy, he invested, but he, like back then, he invested in like three companies, and he knew all about the company, he knew all about the leaders, and he would read all about it. So he, as an investor, had a very direct connection um, with 
the organization. It was very uh, much tied to who he was. Um, but over time, um, so it's kind of like if um, you know we've got great ideas and our friend has no ideas, but they have some resources and they invest in us, right? And they they're for us. Yes, they want a return, but they're really about the idea. So there's a very close connection there. Now I'm sure a lot of friendships got messed up because of that, right? Um, so it's not all bad, but over time, and you really even think like about mutual funds. Mm. Um, yes, they're wonderful. It allowed them the average population to get into the market with limited risk, with actually no knowledge uh, of how the market works. And so there's some really good things about it. But it also, how many people actually know of the money that they have invested in their 401ks or those mutual funds? They have no idea where that money is being used and invested. And so the distance is about there's no connection from the investor to where the resources are being put into play. Again, it's not all bad, but I think it, it, it can put a lot of disconnection to what our core values are and where our resources actually um, get plugged into. It's a complicated thing that yeah. I ran by some friends of mine in the investment world to say, am I just you know, blowing smoke here? And they said, no, I think, I, I think this is very real. Um, and it's just an unintentional consequence of the evolution of the marketplace, I think. Yeah, without, without question, fascinating. So much to talk about. We'll be right back. Naperville Bank and Trust has the expertise, knowledge, and experience to help you reach your business goals. We would prefer to work with somebody like Naperville Bank and Trust. They're engaged in the community. They're able to help meet our financial needs. They understand us as a business. They provide all the tools that you would ask uh, that we as a growing business need of a bank. Most importantly to me, it's a, a great personal relationship we have with Tom and John and, and our bankers. It was the best thing we could have done in banking. And banking can be very cold. What the bank brings to us is, is that warm feeling when you come into the bank and people say, hi, Greg. It's about being part of the community again, about being a name again, about having credit for who your business is instead of just being, well, instead of just being a number. Naperville Bank and Trust, bring it home. So I loved the idea because again, core values were like, okay, fun and honesty, right? Um, but as I read more deeply into the book, you said that, you know what, you don't just create this list and you're done and this is your core mm. values. Your core values find you. Mm. I was, I really had to think about that one for mm -hmm. a while. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so. Um, sort of like the book found you, right? <laughs> like the book found me, the topic found me. Right. Um, I, I think what happens is we begin to increase our awareness, increase our consciousness of what we're experiencing, begin to question the unquestionable. Um, our, our vision is expanded um, of our heart, mind, and soul. We begin to see things that we aren't seeing in the rush of life. And so when we 
start digging for our core values, again, working through our behaviors, our wants, and our needs. And by the way, one thing I have learned to differentiate in, because when I, what the question I ask is, what are your core values? And it almost gets translated immediately into the question, what do I value? Which is a very different question, because the truth is, when we ask the question, what do I value, we end up with our behaviors, our wants, and our needs. That's what we see most often. It's what we feel most often. And so I think as you begin to start digging through and assuming, and by the way, all four of those categories are really important, how you end up dumping everything you value into the values yeah. column, <laughs> right? Because they really are our opinions and our beliefs that we get right. so strong about. Right. When we begin to start sifting through and being honest about what is a behavior, what is a want, what is a need, what's a, an opinion and belief, especially in that need bucket where mm. uh, it's so deep and so strong and our ego is so tied to it, <laughs> right? Is when oh, we there's push, that. There's that, <laughs> right? Oh, that, that ego if it just shut up, right? <laughs> uh, we'd finally get clarity. Um, but when we begin to work through all of that, um, I think our experience of that digging um, begins to show us some things um, and we get more honest with really what is much deeper inside of us, and it's it's a breakthrough. I like to uh, I like to compare it to digging a hundred foot water well. And here's the deal: the water is there whether you dig it or not, but you don't get to use the water unless you do the hard work of yeah. actually digging the well. So you bring up a great point about you know really like being with it, and it almost sounds meditative in, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so I had the luxury of, of reading the book, and you say, you know, wait three days before you come back. Mm. And, um, and that is so interesting to me because I did wait the three days, mm. as I shared with you. I'm a rule follower. Yeah. And I started writing everything in the back of the book, and as I looked at them, you're absolutely right. So many of them were things that I value. Mm. Um, yes. But what is it that makes me tick, that makes me, um, I, I, I was just so intrigued with that idea. So my question to you and, and maybe for others watching the show, um, aside from encouraging them to read the book, is there like a process? Is it something where, okay, now it's top of mind, letting the core values find me. I'm not going to keep writing things down. I'm just going to kind of simmer in it for a while. Yes. Um, what do you tell people to do? Is it once a day for 10 minutes, just kind of sit there? And I think you do mention that, mm. like just kind of think about the things that um, those needs, those wants, those values, yeah. right? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, and the idea of the 10 minutes is really good is that um, I think this isn't a thing where you go away for a week and you come back with it all done. Right. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> That's kind of like going away to write a book. I know what the right. pressure of that feels like. Uh, I think um, it's the kind of thing you work on it for a little bit. It could be 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever time allows, and put it away. Yeah. And then go back and work on it a little bit more and put it away and do it in the rhythm of your life, the highs and the lows, over a period of time. I, I often encourage people to take 30 days just to play with it. And don't don't try to filter, um, say, I'm tr only trying to think of core values, right? Uh, uh, no, let everything come out and begin to, uh, I was just talking to a 29-year-old uh, out on the West Coast this week, and he, he had him on index cards, and he started just everything he listed, and he started labeling like a B is a behavior and a W mm. is a want, mm. and he started learning by 
looking at the whole list, um, how to begin to differentiate between all of that. Now, actually, on my uh, website, I have a tool or a list, and I'm always hesitant yeah. about this. Um, because, I haven't looked at that, yeah, by the way. <laughs> okay. It's not the best place to start, um, but I just asked audiences to do the blank sheet of paper, and over a period of time, I, with their permission, collected their initial responses, and over a two-year period, and these are all audiences of professionals, um, developed a list of about 750 different words that come to mind. Now, it's not a list um, to go and pick your favorite. That's what people love to and do. And I know I would have done that, so I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm just going to, yeah. Yes, and that's why <laughs> that first part's important. Um, and I don't judge the list, whatever people turned in, and I put it in alphabetical order, which is kind of cool because every word has nothing to do with the one above mm. it. Just be, It's just an alpha order, but it allows your mind to wander and wander. And it's through that, I, I always say, don't be green about this. Print it out, it's like five pages, circle, star, one word reminds you of another word. And so I think that's the process that begins the dig. Now, people are different, um, and they'll go about it in different ways, but you bring up the idea of it's, it's a bit um, meditative. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I have come to believe that if we don't go to silence, which a lot of people in today's world are terrified of, right? Um, but if we don't go there um, and really sit in some just very quiet, don't think, don't try to write, don't brainstorm, but just sit in silence, um, that's where some of the most powerful information begins um, to surface to you. What begins to flow on the back end of that, of that silence? So there's no right or wrong because, as I said, I'm a rule follower and I'm thinking, what would John do? Right? <laughs> so there's no right or wrong. It's just allowing yourself that time to just sit with it, yes. right? There's no right or wrong. There is no right, right or wrong. It's a discipline to stay with it, though. That's the one thing I would say, that it's a bit of a practice to get there. So um, I have Return on Integrity, right, the, this book. Talk to me a little bit about the um, companion of yes. this. So a couple of things. I, I really wrote that book for the CEO, um, the executive director, the president, the chairman of the board, the leader at the top. And it's very specifically written for them. And what began to happen is they began to say, uh, well, what do I give my people in the organization? Um, what I realized uh, in the process, because I was so focused on them and the importance of them owning it, um, is I said, I need, really need to write this for the individual because this really is so personal. Whether you're in the role at the top or you're anywhere in any organization in any context, it doesn't matter whether it's a corporation, a, a, a university, a, a politician, a, a, in a church, um, is that it's really so personal. So I wrote the individual version. It's shorter, tighter, um, in some ways more reflective um, to be able to get every individual. And I would encourage the, the CEO to actually, actually read the individual version. Um, it was great. Um, I, I, I have said it's been great to have a book that's just for everybody again. And there's just a lot of joy. It's probably because that's who I'm for. That's how I'm wired. Um, but the individual version, whether you're in an organization where the CEO is, is doing the return on integrity leader version, or you're just living your life, the individual version is designed um, for your own individual journey. And so it it's the same title, Return on Integrity, but the subtitle is The Individual's Journey to the One Essential Thing. Mm. No. And, and I think the key that you said, too, is whether it's this book or the other, the, the more condensed version, is that mm -hmm. fair mm -hmm. to say, is that it's personal. Mm -hmm. And I think 
everybody that goes into their job, whether you're a CEO or a manager or a minister or a politician, mm-hmm. that you bring your 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 personal being to the position, right? Yes, that's it. And so what a gift to be able to be clear so that you walk into any one of those positions clear on what you want to yes. put out there. That's it. That's that's exactly right. And this is where I think the real potential for organizations lies. Um, the thing that's interesting is a lot of organizations have pushed back on, well, well wait a minute, personal values. Um, isn't that personal? And what I would suggest is um, you don't have a choice on this. <laughs> personal values walk into your door every single day. So why don't we, why don't we work with those? Now, here's the risk is if people um, come in with their opinion, opinions and beliefs and believe that those are their values. That's where the wants and needs are. Mm. Um, What happens is that's where if we don't have a clear understanding of what a core value is versus those wants and needs, then we start coming in with our opinions on things. But if we're grounded at the value level, that's where I believe it has the ability to ignite the organizational values. Otherwise, in some ways, organizational values without personal values being at play um, is a compliance exercise. Mm. It's everybody get into a line as opposed to come in and express yourself um, to naturally have alignment, right? And naturally have engagement. So so I know that you do some, um, some groups where you get together. And mm. is there a, um, a vision at all of organizations having like, I think about um, there are things that, you know, employees do to, for team building and things like that. Mm-hmm. How powerful, mm. um, in my humble opinion, <laughs> to have groups in organizations to be able to discuss this and talk about it mm-hmm. so that it isn't it's no longer a matter of compliance, but really having an understanding of one another. Yes. Um, and how you can best not only complement each other and work really well together, mm-hmm. but also for the betterment of the organization. Talk about servant leadership kind of a, exactly. an idea, right? Yes. I mean, that's where I think you actually hit authenticity. So I recently, um, as you know, started at uh, the beautiful Morton Arboretum to do these circles of integrity. And anybody can um, you know, come to one of those. It's 20 people literally in a circle of chairs, nothing else in the room. Uh, The idea was that organizations could do that with their leadership teams. They could do it with a group within uh, a division. And think of the authenticity that begins to pour out um, in those kind of situations. And now again, um, my neighbor across the street, she has beautiful gardens. And I always say there there is not a silk flower in place. And silk flowers are pretty sophisticated now. They look pretty real, (laughs) right? right? There is no silk flower. She isn't doing the silk thing. Um, she does the real thing and she nurtures and, and uh, really works at that, right? And, and I think oftentimes what we do in organizations is we create silk engagement, silk uh, alignment, silk service, right? As opposed to the real deal. But if we get in a circle, um, and then we wouldn't have to ask each other, well, who are you? Um, mm-hmm. We will find out and imagine the connection and the relationship uh, that we have for each other um, and the understanding that we have have um, when our opinions and um, beliefs disagree, right? Well, we have something deeper, uh, whether it's generational differences or whether it's strategic differences. We have somewhere 
to go to that's our common ground where we all have this in common and we respond from that rather than reacting uh, to everything else that's going on. Yeah, and I, you and I have had a conversation offline about you know, whatever happened to being able to disagree respectfully, yes. right? And we've kind of seen the shift. And I even think about like book clubs, you know, when people mm. have book clubs, like to be able to sit down. Mm. Um, you know how I feel about mm. this. So I just say, what a difference it could make um, mm. in the temperature yes. of, of, of where we are right now in the climate, if you will, um, if we all were able to really connect. And when you use the word authenticity, mm. I, I love that. Um, if you choose to do a circle, do they need to read the book first? No, in fact, I've actually asked people, uh, particularly with the individual version of the book, do you think they should read it before they come? And most have actually said no, that they feel like if they came to the circle, with a beginner's mind mm -hmm. uh, that actually reading the book after the circle experience actually could be better. The truth is um, it's kind of nice when there's a mixture um, yeah. because you have some coming with some insight, um, others just coming with what their experience with integrity has been. And, and we all begin where we are, right? And so um, I, I would say either or, but there, there seems to be a voice of the people that have been in the circle. Um, you know, I think it's just kind of nice to start with where you think you are and then go from there and then dive in uh, to the book. I'd like to think that the individual version is one you could read it three or four times and every time you read it, um, it's a new experience because you're in a different place. Right. One, well, um, I will tell you that uh, I have so enjoyed and now that I'm coming to your circle, I might not read the rest of it until after. <laughs> um, but I, I think... We, we again talked about this, there is no better time than now for people to read this book. Mm. Um, I think we are in, in an interesting time and somewhat divisive. Yes. And I read this book and I said, I can't think of a better way to bring people together than, mm. than to learn and connect who they are mm. and ultimately how they can um, make themselves in the world a better place. So I thank you mm. um, for this book and I thank you for taking time to be with me today. Uh, thank you, Nikki, appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for Inside the Chamber. We hope you found the information in today's program valuable. Please join us again for our monthly programs and in the meantime, remember, when you're looking for a service or somewhere to shop or dine, think Chamber and visit naperville.net to support the Chamber of Commerce and our business community. Inside the Chamber is brought to you by presenting sponsor, Naperville Bank and Trust.